welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here, joined by Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. And we're back for another episode of the Captain's Log Project, episode 10. This is for Star Trek Nemesis. And this is this is actually going to be quite interesting. This is the final film in the original timeline. Yep, and after this one, I get to show Steve the trailer for the Picard series that's coming out soon, because that'll be the next thing in the timeline. Oh, so right, okay. But it might, we maybe could watch that live as it's on, which would be interesting, because that would be a, a current thing. What, the trailer? Well, no, I mean the series afterwards, but... We'll watch the trailer um, after the movie, and maybe maybe you could describe your thoughts about seeing that as well. Okay, sounds good, sounds good. I've got some facts. All right, Fran with facts, let's hear the new segment. So, <laughs> Fran with facts. <laughs> Fran with facts. <laughs> so, Fran with Stuart, facts. Stuart Baird directed this. Now, Stuart Baird actually directed um, Casino Royale, Skyfall, um, films like that. Okay, yeah. So that's quite interesting. Prior so, to that, so wait, wait, sorry, he's two Bond films. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So prior to this, you hear that, Gordon? So he did. Um, he's done loads of stuff, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard Two. Uh, in fact, yeah, uh, he's edited basically a lot of films. So he did, sorry, he didn't direct. Ah, right. Um, uh, but it was with Star Trek Nemesis. It was well. It was, there was one called Executive Decision. He started to move into ed- uh, directing as well as editing. Yeah. Um. So, you know, he's he's got some good, uh, some pedigree to the guy uh-huh. in terms of what he's done. And um, the writer was John Logan. He's probably best known for for writing Gladiator. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, really, this film's an interesting one because it should with with that pedigree behind it, it should be. Oh, by the way, the music's uh, Jerry Goldsmith again. Hey, good old Jerry. Yeah, Goldie. Goldfinger Smith, I mean, sorry. (laughs) Um, So, uh, you have this golden um, conducting thing. What do you call that? The thing that they wave around when they're conducting? What is that called? I don't know. Ah, whatever. Stick. So, golden stick. So, yeah, um, the film should be better than it is. Do you know what I mean? Like, when when you watch it knowing who's behind it, you think, ah, it's a bit... It's it's not it's not a gladiator. I'll put it that way. Do you know what I mean? But you can tell that they've that John Logan had something epic in mind, and I feel that the studio let them down a bit here with the budget. Maybe it wasn't as high as it could have been. Um, Do we know the budget? I know that's you having to refer to your facts. By the editing uh, podcast editing, will uh, I'm I'm honestly not sure. Like right, okay. I mean, I I don't know. What I do know is that is that after insurrection. This was this came out four years after Insurrection, I think it was. So there was a bit more of a break. So what year was this then? Probably like two thousand and two. Two. Right. Okay. So I think I, I really feel that what had happened as well was that Star Trek had been on television for years. So you had Star Trek: Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. I think there was a franchise fatigue at Star Trek at this point. Um, Enterprise was on the telly as well. That that was a prequel series, and it kind of. It got good towards the end, but it was cancelled early. So I feel like franchise fatigue hit, and after this, Star Trek was gone until the 2009 um, reboot. So, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's weird, though, because a film, obviously, four-year gap between films, you'd think that fatigue wouldn't have really 
possibly affect well, the film. Well, it was on TV much. all the time. I mean, because the t- the films were set in the same era as the TV shows, so they were all part of the same thing, really. Same uniforms, same everything, do you know what I mean? Same right, look. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't like you were going to see a film that was completely removed. But, you know, it's not a... It's not a it's not a terrible film. I mean, it's got Tom Hardy in it as well. His first, I think, it's one of his one of, if not his first, major screen role. It's the first that I'm aware of him. I mean, he made an early appearance in Band of Brothers in one of the last episodes. That was what 2001. Uh-huh. Um, a small, we're talking real small part um, in half an episode or something. <laughs> And what's the guy? Is it Ron Perlman or something? His name is uh, Ron Perlman. Yeah, he's yeah, a, he's in Hellboy. Oh, right, okay. Well, Ron Perlman's usually always, he usually improves a film by a considerable percentage. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, intri- I'm intrigued to see where this falls down with that cast because you've obviously got this next generation cast returning. Of, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think it's just, it's not, it's a film that people don't really like that much. And I, I, I kind of, I like parts of it. I, if I could give it an edit, I'd, I'd shave it down a bit. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd tighten it up. There's a couple of bits to take out and, and redo but I mean it's the kind of film that you can sit you can just sit down with some food and a drink and watch it and not be outraged by it or anything but you're not going to be like oh my god that was the best film I've ever seen but it, it is a, it is a, it's a Star Trek film it's a, it's a Star Trek adventure actiony type film basically there's not too much intellectual stuff to it do you know what I mean it's not a deep introspective journey or anything like that it's... i think i kind of need that right now for star trek considering that last film we watched well yeah oh it's better than insurrection but then again you know death is better than, than insurrection <laughs> so you know. well death um you know we gave insurrection a two two stars so death must get three stars then yeah um it does it does at least it delivers do you know what i mean it, it does exactly what you expect it doesn't subvert your expectations that's for sure you know um do you know if this film was considered i'm guessing it wasn't a success financially because they all haven't they didn't make any films for seven years or whatever but i take it was it seen as a flop but yeah but I, I, again i think i think that isn't so much down to the film just the mood of the uh-huh. sort of fatigue people really. just weren't really it was the final straw the final frontiers straw um yeah it was just i don't know i don't know it just yeah i reckon people were just tired of it and it wasn't i think the other thing as well is that it isn't doing anything new and unique do you know what i mean it's not it's not drawing people in because it's it's got some kind of incredible hook or something that people haven't seen before you know i mean it's just that is just the way that it is but i mean to be honest with you the thing i'm most excited about is to show you the picard trailer because the thing about well it's going to be good i mean the trailer is fantastic and the i mean it's picking up the story of picard and you're going to get to see well you don't see them in the trailer but you're going to get to see Riker and troy in them again what 20 no how many are we doing that at the end of this once we come back to talk about the film we're going to head in a few minutes, by the way, and it's going to become a spoiler once we watch the film. But uh, after we've then come back and talked about the film, we'll do a live trailer watch or something. Is that what you want to do? Yeah, we can just do it on the laptop. Yeah, yeah, but, but recorded with the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's what I'm calling it. We're good to go. We've kind of set this film up. I'm, you know, looking forward to a, apparently a mediocre film. Yeah, well, you know, it's pretty enjoyable. Yeah. All right, then. Let's go and watch Star Trek Nemesis. All right, mate. Dun, dun. 
And we're back. Star Trek Nemesis now watched. What do we think of this one, Fran? Well, I have to say I was pleasantly surprised on watching this film again. Yeah. I've not seen it for about maybe four or five years, I don't think. And I was surprised by... I don't know. I was surprised. I think what's happened is that I've seen a lot of films in the past few years that maybe follow a similar sort of structure to this. And then going back to watch this film again, it it felt kind of comfy. It felt kind of like a, it felt like a more contemporary movie, you know. It felt it felt really quite tight, mm-hmm. you know. It's weird because I used to not like it very much, but maybe it's because I wasn't used to that style. It's interesting. It doesn't feel like anything like the other Star Trek films. Maybe the closest was First Contact. Yeah, but even that was very different to this. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a it was an action film, more or less. Uh, kind of similar to, I I was thinking of the Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know if it's the alien designs and some of the sets and things like that, but that yeah. was the the main thing I was thinking of when I was watching it. Of course, this was two thousand and two. Yeah, you know, this is you in that sense. I suppose you could say it is ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we were both saying that while we were watching the film. I mean, I think that that at the time, people were used to a different sort of structure for a film. So, a Star Trek movie wasn't going to be like that. It wasn't going to be... I, I don't want to say the word brainless because it's not brainless. There's a lot of intelligence that's gone into the editing of that film, which is obviously down to Stuart Baird, who directed and edited the film, right? Who who who's a very experienced editor. So I think what's happened is that that maybe the audience was not prepared for a movie like that at that time, because it had some of the hallmarks of a Marvel movie. It had franchise callbacks. It had a bigger universe. You had Captain Janeway doing a cameo. You had references to the series. You had um, sporadic action scenes that were dropping in at certain points that kept the pace going. You had um, very clear villain good guy uh, uh, pairings like Riker and that Viceroy and Picard and Shinzon. You know, you had clear indicators of why someone was bad. I mean, Shinzon was basically carrying out rape against Diana Troy. I mean, that's a very clear you know um, slap in the face indicator that he's a bad guy uh, you know and the music as well I, I feel I, it did feel it felt like I was watching a Marvel Star Trek movie I mean it's yeah. really weird yeah I think the only thing really that makes uh, um, differs differentiates it from the Marvel films is really Marvel's sort of humour stamp that's uh-huh. one of the things that they usually are able to inject humour into films that or have dark moments as well as light moments, and the humor kind of uh, is one of their things. But the, the Star Trek films, but they've they've got that like down one to, moment I think with Data or something. You know, but. yeah, I mean Marvel's got that down to a science though, right? Whereas you could see they were trying to do it because there was there was one. But it doesn't that, need it. It, it. it it can be. I mean, I thought there was a couple of moments in this film that they were going for it, and I didn't feel like it was working. Aha! Uh-huh. But there was one bit that did. There was the bit where. Um, it was very, very subtle. It was the bit where um, Picard and Data were about to fly that shuttle through the corridors out of the window of that ship, that Shinzon's vessel, to escape. And Data just says to Picard, 
do you want me to drive? And Picard kind of just looks over his shoulder and it's very subtle. I think in a Marvel movie that would have been more on the nose. Do you know what I mean? It would have been a more kind of on-the-nose moment and there would have been a bit of an audience laugh, but it was very, very subtle. And that's the kind of humour that would have worked, mm-hmm. kind of, rather than being like a joke, but it's more of a, a character moment yeah. between the two of them. Probably Worf and Data had a moment as well on that planet. Oh yeah, when he found the arm and uh, I think Data said, oh, you've found a robotic arm and Worf was like, very astute. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, let's we've kind of mentioned a few characters and a few kind of instances. Why don't we talk about the plot? Right, because okay. we didn't even mention it at all before in the yep. first part of the podcast. So the plot of this movie basically is that the Romulan Empire has been taken over by this mysterious figure called Shinzon, and he has invited the Federation to come to uh, take part in peace talks. Now. The Enterprise is on its way to Commander Riker and Deanna Troy's wedding, and while they're en route, they come across a weird signal that they find to be an android on a planet that's the same as Data. Same kind of design, but a bit more basic. And that takes them very close to the border of the Romulan Empire. So they are the closest ship. So they, they, they get the orders to go and carry out these talks with the Romulans. And then it turns out that Shinzon had placed the android on the planet to pull the Enterprise close to the border so that they would be the ones to be there. Now the reason for that was that Shinzon is actually a clone of Captain Picard that was cloned years before to do some sort of spying operation but it never worked and he was dumped in some mines. With who Did it mention who cloned him? Would, would it have just been the Romulan Intelligence Services? You see that during the Next Generation TV show um they in the TV show they they captured Geordi uh, uh, the one with the visor, and they um, mind control him to try and assassinate people. They do various things, so it it fits with the lore that they would have at that point have done something like that. So anyway, this um, clone of Picard manages to start a revolution with the lower class of the Romulans who are called Remans and takes over the government. Um. But he needs the blood of Picard in a transfusion to live because his clone body is not perfect and it's designed to die at a certain age so that he won't be discovered or whatever, like if he was to have been used. But he's also got this massive weapon that he wants to use to destroy Earth and take over the galaxy. He's of quite a nihilistic character, like he obviously hates himself, gets some sort of self-hatred and he's envious and hateful of Picard for his life and all that kind of thing. So you've got this interesting villain combination, like I said, with Riker and the Viceroy, Picard and Shinzon, but you've also got the mirrors, you've got Data and B4, the, the other Data, and you've got Picard and Shinzon, who are copies of each other, but they're not quite the same. Do you know what I mean? So basically, the it becomes a battle between Picard and Shinzon on their respective ships, and we all know, obviously... As is with most of these films, Picard and the crew survive and Shinzon dies. But Data gets killed. Or Data kills himself or sacrifices himself to save the ship by destroying the super weapon um, in the last moment, uh, saving Picard. So that's basically the plot. And you know, the funny thing about it is that I always kind of thought, I always kind of thought this film was a bit empty and a bit, a bit not vapid. Maybe that's a bit too stronger word. But watching it now, it just felt like a very satisfying film. Like you were, you know, you knew what was going on. I mean, the 
you got the family bit at the start with the crew at the wedding and all that kind of stuff. Then you got the bit of adventure with finding the android and and the mystery about who Shinzon is and Ron Perlman being great as the prosthetic alien, you know, as he then went on to do with Hell is it Hellboy? Yeah. You know, prosthetic genius. That guy can put character into anything. I almost wish there was a bit more of him. Yeah, but I feel like he was is a good kind of um a second in command to henchman henchman yeah Chief that's henchman, a good word. yeah, yeah. i kind of wish there was just well that, that's a point a actually more. with the word henchman didn't you think that this had a bond kind of feel to it because there was a lot of bond but well, obviously he had the bond pedigree with um stuart, stuart baird, baird yeah who edited casino royale and skyfall mm-hmm. although i don't know if he directed or edited skyfall but he was involved one of the two yeah but there was a lot of set pieces like and and, and kind of like Shinzon was saying things like Goldfinger would almost say it was like uh, you know it was like should we have dinner for the two of us or just the one of us you know what I mean like yeah the, the setup was very Bond like um and the sort of grand villain you know luring him in with a sort of a kind of debonair and, and, a, and a sort of very menacing charm I suppose the way to put it but you know and then the reveal usually of course is there's obviously some sort of antagonist to the character but yeah and, and the sort of gra- the, the set design i think is probably one of the things that mm-hmm. we, what was it we commented on we were watching like the big window yeah it was like maybe in the dr no set or something yeah. like that um which helped that comparison yeah so that was quite i think that helped the enjoyment of the film visually we're touching on visuals now I mean, I, I really liked, actually, the, the set. I think this film, it looks more modern than yeah. a film that you say was made in the early 2000s because a lot of those films, to me, especially when they use CG, CG they date yeah. like, really poorly. Um, this looked weirdly good. Yeah, I don't know if you've downloaded, sorry, purchased some... Um, like there's, there's no, there's no better copy. Remastered. No, there's no, there's Blu-ray version or something. There's no, there's no better copy like that of Nemesis, uh, precisely because it wasn't a big hit. But you know, I don't know. Maybe Stuart Baird. Stuart Baird has gone on to be involved with films that are much further along in terms of the development of film since then. So maybe, maybe, maybe it was almost like it struck a bit too early with this film. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 there was franchise fatigue with it, with Star Trek at the time, definitely. But this would be the formula that I think would make a great Star Trek movie now. Like if they were to create this expanded universe of Star Trek, this sort of film, high stakes, someone's going to destroy Earth. There's a a big connection between the villain and the 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 good guy and all that you know personal stuff. I mean, this would be. I think this film came at maybe not the wrong time, but if it came out now, it would be a hit. Yeah. That's the thing. This came out at a time when I never thought I'd see ca- that. Casual audiences is kind of there was you say fatigue. There's obviously not an interest for the film, and it was tailored more to that audience with those kind of action scenes and mm-hmm. less, more less in- intellectual plot. Although like there was, I mean, there, there was, was, but it's weirdly, not, I, I, I was know, saying, and it's not looking for God. I mean, I was saying in the preamble to this that. Oh, it's not intellectual. But you had Shakespeare quotes, I see through a glass darkly, which is looking through the mirror and seeing a weird reflection of yourself. Mm. And that's in, that's there. Do you know what I mean? So there is an intellectual element to this film that I, that I had completely forgotten about. But I wonder that 
It's something that says a little though that you forgot about. It's also a film I've seen. This film I'd watched this film a few years ago. I can't remember if we'd had a few drinks, but, but, I, but we, we watched both, it years ago. Though. Yeah, like I'm yeah, at least but ten years ago. I, I think what's happened. I had no. I remember visually. I just remember the color green a lot of the time and yeah. Tom Hardy. I didn't know it was him. I just remember some young bald but, guy. But I feel like I'm going to remember it more now than I would have done. Probably, probably. Like, I we, feel like we've we've watched it with the embedded knowledge of films that we've seen since mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like having seen things like guardians one and guardians two and the expanded marvel universe and the way that films are constructed these days this felt very comfortable do you know yeah. what I mean? it felt like like when the enterprise i mean there was so many scenes in it that i, th I was surprised by it. i thought my god it just keeps ramping up the action you know not only have you got them flying a ship through the corridors, you've got the Enterprise in a pitched battle in the nebula, the Romulan shop, then they fly the Enterprise directly into the other ship, and you get that big scene with that, that what was that, shuttle deck being destroyed. That I looked mean, great. You know, and as well as that, that first action scene on the planet, um, was a, you know, a sort of car like chase. Mass Effect. It was kind of like, it was more like Mad Max. But you well, were saying uh, Mass yeah, Effect again, yeah. yeah. It was the, before they appeared. And that's, Steve, that's Steve's observation, because he pointed that out during it, the... It was more just a desolate planet, and just, you know, two free crew members just wandering. Um, that sort of isolation that Mass Effect mm -hmm. usually is really good for. Um, and then finding some sort of beacon, that was all very Mass Effect, and the, the sort of uh, vehicle they were using was kind of similar to, again, a vehicle in Mass Effect. So it was all... This is what Mass Effect has taken from this yeah. this is not like you know um so this it was but it was, it was like the word comfortable that was where i was like i was kind of feeling like oh I, this is all familiar to me i, I was kind of getting a little mm -hmm. pleasure you know from from that type of stuff and and, yeah. and and then the attack happened and that was very much a mad max feeling film which uh -huh. again Mad Max Fury Road is an amazing film, and Tom Hardy's in, which again, you <laughs> some yeah. weird connection there. So th that was a, there was a lot of different types of action scenes which I liked as well. Yeah, was, you know, the 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 spaceship stuff. I mean, it was it was tightly well. edited, wasn't it? Which is which makes sense given the fact that the the director was an experienced editor. Mm -hmm. But the thing the thing that I found interesting was in the editing, I wouldn't have I, I wouldn't have changed anything. But there are some scenes that I think. Like I have to be critical about it. I have to be critical about this film. I mean, it's not a, because it's it's yeah, it does have flaws. But the, the, I think what I would point out would be that Stuart Baird maybe wasn't the best director of the cast because that first scene there's an opening. The the opening scene shows the Romulan Senate being killed by a, a weapon that Shinzon has put in there, um, and they basically. Uh, solidify and fall down and, and they're just like brittle stone or something and they smash on the ground. Pretty cool opening scene. So that scene where they fall down and they smash on the ground, I felt like the acting in that scene was really bad. Like, oh yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. Like the, the, the way that the Romulan Praetor, who's like the president, was talking was like, we want this trade thing for whatever and it sounded to me like all the all the people, the, there were certain points in the film that it sounded like voice actors in a computer game, like shit actors that were brought, you know what I mean? Yeah. It didn't sound like the director had gone up and said, Do put a bit more feeling into this. Mm -hmm. It was like, what about the trade dispute with Silas 4? Well, why don't we do this? Oh, Call security, you know, blah blah blah, and then the guy stands up and he's like, and then <laughs> dies, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I but that—that's that—that that to me is the mark of a director who's not who's who's shot the scene and said, cut, 
Ah, there we go, that's fine. Whereas a, a proper director would have said, hmm, let's go back and do that again and get a bit more a bit more reality to what you're saying there. Now, George Lucas did that with the prequel Star Wars films. There was a lot of scenes where like, you had love scenes between Padme and Anakin, and he's saying, you are so beautiful. And she's saying, oh, what is beauty? And you're thinking, nobody would ever say that. Well, that, that's, all, nobody that's, would that's ever, on the script. You know, uh, but nobody would ever say things that way, or those words... And and I think that what we saw in Star Trek Nemesis was at, at certain points was a smaller version of that, and I think that's why he missed the humor as well. I think the script as well probably is. There's a couple of lines where I was like, oh, I don't know if they're, they're going for something a bit more important here, but it comes across a bit clumsy. A proper director would have yeah. would have would have collaborated and tightened that up. So the editing was perfect, I think. Which would you would expect? Mm-hmm. John Logan did the the story for Gladiator but John Logan on Gladiator probably had someone tweak that a bit whereas I'm not sure that that happened on this with Stuart Baird and Brent Spiner as well well Brent Spiner and and, uh, Stuart Baird are friends Mm. so obviously Data got a lot of screen time oh he certainly did yeah and he got the big sacrificial death as well yeah, um, which actually, though, I mean, you could say nepotism played a part, but I think it was it was quite well, nicely I, done. I think they probably did need some uh, finality, or not finality, but something to kind of show that the stakes were were high. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there was a, a, a that explosion. You know, the the Enterprise got taken an absolute beating. The the sort of main view screen, you know, destroyed. A guy flew out into the middle of space. Nobody seems to, to mind about that guy. Poor John. But, uh, you know, Data kills himself, of course. It's all a sad day. Um, ah, but come on, right? Think about it, right? Yeah, that guy. Come on, that Steve, right? Family, right? Let's say one of the podcast crew got sucked into space, right? Or Mr. whatever his name is across the street. Who are you going to care more about, right? It's the same as the news, right? You see things on the news. It's like 15,000 people died in a tsunami. It's like, oh, that's a shame. But you're not lying in the ground crying. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's that way. Like this is one of their colleagues. It's not well. Not really. Anyways, it's, it's like a shop. Oh. It's like it's like the new staff member. You know, he's <laughs> been stabbed by a customer. You're, I love how you're creating the backstory for this character. That well, split I, second. I don't know. Screen. I mean, I think you you're. I think the human thing is that you're going to mourn the, your friend, your your close friend, more uh, than uh, yeah. a stranger or or a colleague. Do you know what I mean? I think that's that generally tends to be the rule. Mm. But although they should have at least mentioned the guy. Yeah. <laughs> Data died. Oh, and John. I know. You know. <laughs> uh, let's have a little sipped John. You know, know so, I mean, it'll probably melt a few others died. You know, well, hundreds a... probably. I mean, yeah. the ship was flown directly. All those decks were destroyed. Yeah. Oh, did, they didn't even offer an evacuation order <laughs> before they ordered the ship to fly into the, the, the enemy vessel. Picard could have said, Decks fifteen to twenty-five. If I run for your life, it's almost like they only care about that bridge crew. Well, so do we. But yeah, there was some some good stuff in this film visually. I thought the, you know the film was great as well. The pacing overall, we liked. Do you know what was really interesting is that you got a well, I don't want to say it's really interesting that you got a rape scene. Oh jeez, but man. you got. You got this this violation of Deanna Troy by this telepathic viceroy played by Ron Perlman and and orchestrated by Tom Hardy's character. And then she got her chance to get back at them later on, where she and she used her empathic abilities to target the cloaked enemy ship. 
mm. and and had this kind of remember me moment, and then the Enterprise lets loose with all of its weapons, you know, yeah, yeah. which is quite an empowering mm-hmm. moment, I think, mm-hmm. there, where it's mm-hmm. like you know, the, the what goes around comes around, you know, the victim then becomes the it gets there. She got her um her power back, yeah, in that scene. Yeah. Which is quite nice. I mean, because it could it could have been fine for the story just to have her under attack uh, to progress the plot, but it gave that character the chance to to come full circle with that and use that against the 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 perpetrator. Yeah, yeah, as well. Which again, I think is very ahead of its time. No, I I, I like this film overall actually um, much more than I thought I would. I was waiting for the moment where my you know disappointment kicked in. But, you know, having the expectations lowered. I think it did help that we came from the poorest film previous to this. I think so. But at the same time, I didn't go into this with memories no, like, of insurrection. It, it was weird. It was like... The thing is, you must have seen this multiple times. I have. So but... I don't understand how you... You've, it's like a weird epiphany after about eight, the eighth time watching it or something. No, it's it's weird. I think I think what's happened is that I've... I've only really watched maybe Star Trek 2, Star Trek 6, and the TV show, like, I, over the past few years, like, stuff I would watch. I've not watched, I've not watched things like Insurrection or Nemesis. I've not watched the ones that aren't so good, in my opinion, or the, when I was younger, I thought that. But I've seen a lot of other things in between, and I think Nemesis maybe has, I would say, out of all of the Star Trek films, Nemesis is the one that has aged well into our current Mm-hmm. zeitgeist of what we go and see i think it was good to have that he- hero and villain relationship well that's it, very common now aye well i think it's always something that, that good films usually try and have some sort of like real chemistry it doesn't have to be you know clone relationship or anything like that actual familial bond but any sort of chemistry built up between your two between the, yeah, the is, is always one of the main oh. things that draws you and I think this film did that well, and it helped that Tom Hardy was able to really carry some great yeah. moments well the thing is they, they what's amazing about it is that it's pure coincidence because he was a young actor they couldn't have known but pairing Patrick Stewart and Tom Hardy right if you were to say that today we've got Patrick Stewart and Tom Hardy face to face as hero and villain in a movie people would be queuing up to see that that's that's fascinating actually you're right and you know they did a great job to make him look like him you know he had the slim build at that point as well and he had the shaved head but i get the feeling they must have done something to his nose or something there was a because he doesn't have as big a nose protruding a nose as that there there was some slight prosthetics used and it was all very subtle and I like that. Um, I just, think just enough. And the character did say they broke my jaw, whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, so he sort of addressed. I, I like, I like that as well because you know he was talking about how look how similar they can. When you actually see them, it's cut in between the two, and you're like, well, they don't really look alike. Like they have the generic features. You mm-hmm. can see when you quickly look at them, you can say, oh yeah, bald guy, yeah, pale. Uh, he looks like him, but. It's not not one to one like that, but then he they reason it well, and also he looks much more like him than James McAvoy does in the uh, X Men films. So mm-hmm. that's something. Yeah, so I was happy with Tom Hardy as well, actually. Um, some interesting costumes as well. <laughs> Give a, a shout <laughs> out to the costume are... designer. Well, the the Romulan guys they, they have the same uniform they always had, except it's slightly different. But Shinzon and the Remans have these weirdly sort of reflective leathery type 
mm-hmm. outfits with massive shoulders that oh yeah that just looks so uncomfortable and sweaty and horrible and you think why why would they give the miners this extremely expensive costume I mean they're miners yeah but then again maybe maybe they they ordered really resplendent costumes after they overthrew the the powerful people to sort of overcompensate for their own sense of being plebs I mean we don't know this film um, so there's many things we like about it do you feel that the reason it's not remembered is because it doesn't have the one scene you know the one scene that defines a film and, and, and everyone you know well at least one scene anyway that every classic film has well, you know I think it. I think that's true but I think that also comes back to Stuart Baird being an editor and not a director really I think what's happened is he's paced the film almost too well he's made it so that he's not got the the flaw of a a director pushing an editor to retain something that is irrationally in, in their mind something that has to be in there so he's a, he's got editing down to a science I think what's happened is that in a normal production, the director would be pushing the editor who is saying, no, we need to pace, we need to pace, we need to pace. And the director's saying, but I want this scene, but I want this scene. Whereas Stuart Baird has just paced it, basically. So he's shot it all, directed it, maybe not quite so well. I don't think he directed it anywhere near as good as he edited the film. Mm-hmm. right? So I think what's happened is that he had no favourite scene and he's paced the film to be a perfectly paced movie. And because of that, there's no hook scene in there. That's I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just my opinion, but I, some people I, might say that the I agree data with you. sacrifice or something, or I agree with the, you completely on that. Yeah, there wasn't any weight given to that scene in particular over any other. I yeah. mean, it had its own weight, but it wasn't. There wasn't any scene that was. And I think a, a good, a really good script is what helps with these situations because one, a couple of great lines we just watched, for instance. The James Bond and the James Bond podcast, Goldfinger. Now that scene between James Bond and Goldfinger, the laser scene when James Bond's on the table and they have the, do you expect me to talk? No, I expect you to die. Perfect two-line scene. But that is so memorable. There's humour in there as well. It's dark. It's very, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's cinematic. And that sort of exchange didn't happen in this film. It doesn't have to happen, but that's probably what distinguishes it from being yeah. up there with up, you know some of the best films. I, you know, I'll be back. All these kind of quotable, rememberable mm-hmm. lines. All the star, half the Star Wars lines. You know. Yeah. But I think we've kind of summed up. You know, as much time as I want to cover on this, unless there's anything yeah. you want to bring up that you've been meaning to say. Not particularly, but I'm going to go pina. Oh, so fantastic! You can cut this bit, but you won't, will you? Yo, yo, yo. All right, then. Let's let's get to the rating then, Fran. Uh, you want to go first or you want me to rate it? I, I feel like I'm going to surprise myself here. I feel like I'm going to surprise myself and give it a four. I'm toying with the four as well. Uh, do you know what? Honest, I, w- I would never have predicted this. Yeah. I think I am. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to give it the four. Um, the, what we just discussed before your break about how it uh, lacked that you know, classic killer scene is the reason it doesn't, you know, would never get it's a low four for me, it doesn't get the five. Yeah. But that's it's 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 pulled above a three. When I think of 
the scale of the Star Trek films as well. You know, we're we're not reviewing these in a vacuum. This is opposed in amongst all the other Star Trek films. The ones I've given a free had moments where I was I was kind of bored. Yeah, you know, there was points where I was like, oh, "This is a bit slow. I'm not as invested in these characters." And I don't think I was as invested with the Next Generation crew. I will admit, more um, they're not as over- archetypal as no, the original series. I don't think that I don't find them as interesting in these films. Now I know that I bet you if I watch the series, I will change my mind. So I will hold my hands up. I am viewing. It's, that's an opinion based on four films. So the f- scenes with the Next Generation cast, I will say, sometimes my attention wavers a bit when it's prolonged. Picard is always he's uh, he's the exception. I kind of like the scenes with Riker, Riker, Picard, Data, and whatever guest stars there are. I don't. I generally don't really find Riker that interesting or well, Data. Well, I think I think that what I'm saying is, even having watched all the seven mm. seasons of the show, those are the ones that I find interesting. Yeah. So maybe you'd feel the same if you watched it all. You wouldn't love all of them. Yeah, but this film, for me, was much more exciting as soon as your villains were on screen and they got a lot of good screen time. Tom Hardy and Ron Perlman, a lesser extent, but you know, a great henchman as well. And just they. They carried the film for me a lot of the time. It was a good double, a double hander between Picard and, and Hardy. So for me, that pulls it just to a low four. Uh, so yeah, surprising, certainly. Cool. So are you ready for another surprise to see the uh, Star Trek Picard trailer? All right then. So we're doing it on this podcast then? Oh yeah. Right. In fact, I'll show you it on this, on my phone. All right. Keep, keep things simple. This is interesting. You know, our very first podcast... Um, episode zero we watched the trailer and now on our final episode which is of the original timeline we watched the trailer you know circular you know it's amazing isn't it let me just make sure this is the right one okay here we go right right here we go have you ever been a stranger to yourself I'm glad we are watching this after this film. <laughs> Do you know who I am? Everything inside of me says that I'm safe with you. Admiral, I have encountered a woman. She came to me for help. If she is who I think she is, she's in serious danger. Sometimes I worry that you have forgotten who you are. We do not. We can't do it alone. You need help. You need protection. You need a crew. Be the captain there, remember. She has no idea what she truly is. She's the end of all. She's the destroyer. That Borg cube. Mm-hmm. The hell are you doing out here, Picard? Saving the galaxy. Engage. 
Wait for it. I don't want the game to end. I can see that, Captain. <laughs> so, there you go. Interesting. And it picks up exactly from Nemesis, but it's like, what, 20 years later? I'll need to watch all of the Star Trek Next Generation first. But before that, I need to watch the Star Trek the original series first. Yeah. Then I'll need to watch Voyager. But it is fun uh, Enterprise. To, it is fun to be able to, to dip into a new show, having seen the last thing, that directly the story goes into it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, It makes also Nemesis kind of mean something a little. Like, it's actually... Yeah. Just... You can see Picard has had some sort of crisis. He's retired and he's got his badge and he's he doesn't, you know, he's not in Starfleet anymore. Actually, that makes it come to a point of Nemesis that we spoke about um, before. You mentioned, you always described this film in the previous podcasts as if it, you compared it to like, you know, the dad that's trying to put on the harness. That's what it felt like. And I was like, I time. wasn't getting any of that at all. I think it felt like that at the time. It did, because it was a different time in 2002 when this came out. 2002 was a time of really young people in movies and the Next Generation crew were getting on a bit at the time. I mean, yeah, but then you think about the undiscovered country, you know. I know, but they were in. They were that was very was, clearly a retirement movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they were talking about getting old, whereas they never mentioned that in Nemesis. But you know, there is room for that now. I think that what we've experienced is we've watched a film that that we've watched a film that had a certain impact at one time that now has a completely different impact now. It's funny that, isn't it? How films, but maybe it's because we're older. Yeah, there's because films that I because do you know what yeah. we've got older and people maybe see us like that now. Who knows? You know, there's there's people who could see us as being not young people anymore. I think, and a there's lot people, of people who do see us as young people. So we're at a different stage in our own lives. Mm -hmm. And I guess when you're watching a film at eighteen or seventeen and you're watching it at thirty two and thirty three, that's very different. Okay, then I yeah. agree. Yeah, I mean there are basically seventeen and eighteen year olds around right now who were born when that film came out. You know, and and, and that's crazy. Yeah. That's... To them, that's ancient history. To us, it's something that we remember, you know. I uh, know. It's crazy. Oh, my God. Don't feel bad. Just moisturize. <laughs> that's the best way to get rid of the signs. On that. Works for me. <laughs> uh, we are done for the original timeline Star Trek films. Eh. So, uh, next up will be Star Trek 2009. Which is officially just not the 2009th film, but Star Trek, an important that came point. out in the year 2009 yeah. that I saw in America for the first time. Uh, you were hyped about that film, yeah. I remember you constantly messaging me, saying, "Have you seen the trailer? Have you seen the trailer yet?" I'm going to the cinema. Well, we to went see to see we we saw the trailer about five times. Me and Steve went to see Cloverfield about five times in a row together, mm. and constantly saw the trailer. That's right, that Cloverfield was, was that 2008? Yeah, J.J. Abrams as well. Yeah. But we loved that, didn't we? we? We were obsessed with that film. Yeah, you were, and I loved it as well at the same time. But yeah. Oh, you were obsessed with it. Uh, yeah, you loved it. Sure, go You would have it. married it. Uh, sure. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, this film, yeah, I've only seen it, I think, once, the reboot. So I'm interested to see... It's a good movie. Where Yeah, it's it's, it's regarded as, as, a, as, a, as a high mark at the last high point really in the, the series of films isn't it yeah you know it, into darkness is a bit of a, a lower point and the third one is a bit mediocre yeah well it's okay it's all into right. darkness is shit 
um, Beyond is okay. Beyond yeah. Beyond's good. Beyond has callbacks to Enterprise and things like that. Beyond's okay, but it's not. 2009 was... 2009 actually is about as close to perfect as you could get, I would say. <laughs> I mean, like, I was pleased with the movie. The Leonard Nimoy's in it, and it was great. It's... I'm interested to see it. I've got so many fond memories of that film going going across to the state just as it was coming out, going to see it in the cinema in the States and coming out at the end and talking and someone saying, you sound like Scotty, man! You know, and all the, just this stuff. It was great. Just loved it. As soon as you came out. The and film. then Americans going to see a film, right? It's totally different. There's that bit where the Enterprise rises out of the gas cloud and everybody was like, whoa! Like people applaud in American cinemas. Ah, they're very old. Scream and shout, you know. OTT man, it was great. And you could drink in there as well. Like you could order beer and they'd bring it right up to the. Like you had a bloody bar in front of your seat and everything. It was great. And food, nachos yeah. and everything. Really good. Back then, to ten years ago, that wasn't really a thing here. Odeon are starting to really and and cinema order kind of bringing in VIP stuff. You oh, pay for it extra, but I loved it, man. It was great. Well, I'm looking forward to this one then. We'll need to get that scheduled in. We're, you know, the last era of the films. We're kind of getting to a closing point of this project, Fran. Well, when Picard comes out, we can carry on the Star Trek journey. Uh, series, that's difficult. How are we going to watch no, it's every It's a mini-series. It's not going to be that long. Yeah. Mm. It's not going to be like a 24-episode ep- season. I was going like to do, do the Red Dwarf series. Well, we can do that. Do you know what? We can do everything. The Starbug project. Yeah, we we, we, we can do everything. All right, then. There's no limits to what this podcast can achieve. Fran, it's good having you back. Aye. And time for you to go. I know. I've got, I've got a phone a taxi now. All right. I'm going to a party. Again. Steve doesn't think I should, but I'm going to anyway. All right, then. I'll let you go. Thanks now. Cheers. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> What's the opposite of yo, yo, yo? Bye, bye, bye.